Hey friends, welcome to Wednesday, April the 13th, and today's episode of Enough for Today. It's Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life and earthly ministry, physical life on earth, uh, prior to the resurrection. You have to quantify all these things, don't you? And we have been studying, we've been tracing his steps and walking this road with him. Um, we provided for our church family uh, through email a reading schedule that is also posted on all of my social media and our church's social media. So if you go to Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and look me up, Carrie Schmidt, or look up Emmanuel Baptist Church of Newington, you'll see in a recent post on from Tuesday um, or Monday, you'll see uh, the photo of the card of the reading. Now, there are some pretty complex reading plans out there because this week is, uh, the Gospels didn't perfectly present them in a uh, synchronized timeline. But you can kind of stitch it together by looking at where the disciples say, and the next day, or the next morning, or that evening. And so when you, when you take all four together and weave them together, uh, we're doing the best we can in this time together to represent uh, what might be the closest that we can get to understanding the timeline. So here's where we've, where we've been so far. Uh, Monday was the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus walked into the temple and looked around. He spent some time teaching and loving and doing miracles that day. Tuesday was a busy day. It was a day of teaching all day. It was a day of interacting with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the chief priests, the scribes, the lawyers, all the religious leaders put him to the test, and they all failed. <clears throat> and he finally turned the question around on them. How can the Messiah be David's son? and David's Lord at the same time, which is a brilliant question because David knew that the coming Messiah would be born of his line, but would be deity as well. And so, um, <clears throat> so they should have known, they should have known. Well, we come to Wednesday and Wednesday is probably the most ambiguous of all the days of this particular week. Um, and there's a couple of, of hints, okay? So Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 26, 2, uh, that after two days is the feast of the Passover. So he would have said that on Wednesday because the feast begins on Friday evening and goes into Saturday sunset. Remember this, the Hebrew calendar was sunset to sunset. The day began at sundown, whereas our day begins at sunrise, right? Um, so, or maybe midnight would be our day beginning, but, um, in the Hebrew calendar, the day ended at sunset, the new day began. So they're going to celebrate the feast on Friday evening into Saturday evening. Sometimes there's confusion because, uh, the disciples with Jesus had the last supper. They prepared the Passover, but then you read about the priests and you read about Joseph of Arimathea, you read about um, them wanting to crucify Jesus, get him into the tomb before the Passover. So we'll talk about that on Friday, but right now we're on Wednesday. So there's three things I want you to know about Wednesday, and we'll probably be somewhat brief today. Okay, here it is. Jesus is loving. The enemies are plotting. Judas is betraying. This is what we know about Wednesday. So several passages, but Matthew 26, let me read it to you. Verses 1 uh, through 
5 and then uh, down at verse 14. And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said unto his disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Now, there's a lot in this verse, but I think the biggest irony of this verse is the first two words, you know, okay? Uh, They did not want to know, but they did know. Why did they know? Well, they knew he was the Lamb of God. He's been telling them he's going to go to Jerusalem and be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and he would suffer and die and rise again. So they know the lambs are being slaughtered on Friday. They know he's the lamb. They know he's told them that he's there to die. So they do know, but they don't want to know. Uh, And they've willfully denied what they know. Have you ever done that? You, You know, we're the only creatures that can talk ourselves out of what is obvious. We can reason away our instincts of fear. We can reason away uh, what is evident truth right before our eyes. We can deny, we can deceive ourselves. You ever had an ache or a pain or a warning sign in your health and you didn't want to go to the doctor? You ever had a tooth that you know was decaying but you didn't want to go to the dentist? Well, these guys know that Jesus is going to die but they don't want to know. And you know, such is the will of God in our lives. We often reason ourselves out of what we're afraid of or what is a mystery to us or what we just don't want to confront as truth and reality in our lives. My friend, I want to tell you though, God loves you too much to let you deceive yourself. He loves you too much to leave you there or let you go your own way. He pursues you and eventually he's going to confront you with the truth you know. You're going to have to have the courage to reckon with it. What gives you that courage is to know that he knows exactly what's going on and has already prepared you for the journey and already taught you that he has all the resources and all the power to overcome all of your fears and all of your greatest oppositions to bring you through, okay? He's already told the disciples that in the world they shall have tribulation, but they can be of good cheer for he has overcome the world. He's already told them that he's going to resurrect and that they're going to go through this time, but he's going to be with them and his spirit will be with them and he's going to remind them and he's going to bless them and use them and they're going to do greater works than he has done. So many things he's told them that they don't want to know, but it's all going to be appropriated now as a result of their belief, but as a result of the journey that Jesus is on and that he's taking them on as they choose to follow him. And this is what it means to follow Jesus, my friend. It doesn't mean you understand the path. Frankly, it means a lot of the time you're perplexed, confused, or you're terrified of what's coming and what you know is coming, but you don't understand it and you don't want to face the fear, but you're trusting him anyway. So let me visit with you on these three things for a minute. Jesus is loving. I marvel at this about this week. He's going to start his suffering at the Garden of Gethsemane on Thursday night. And we know he's going to suffer until uh, he dies on that cross at 3 o'clock on Friday. But right up until 
the suffering begins. He loves. He loves, he loves, he loves. He gives himself away to those who need him, to those who, to anyone who would believe in him. He goes into this temple three days in a row, teaches, 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 expends himself, heals, blesses, gives himself away to these people with extravagant generosity, with extravagant love. Again, I don't think our, we can wrap our minds around the fact that um, this was a jubilee moment. This was an extravagantly jubilant moment for Jerusalem. Very poor, very destitute, very miserable, very flawed, failed people were being made whole and were being received and loved and blessed by Jesus. And they came to him as they were, and he loved them. And my friend, he loves you that way. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He knows you to the depths, but he loves you to the moon. That is a Tim Keller quote, but I can never get away from it. It's just so, so wonderful. And we have a hard time believing that. I got an email from a young lady that used to be in my youth group this morning. And uh, this is literally 12 years removed from her graduation from my youth group. And I don't know where the last 12 years have taken her, but I know her faith has been tested. And I know this, she's had a hard time believing that God is as good a father as he says he is, and that Jesus is as wonderful a savior as he says he is. She's had a hard time believing that her failures don't obstruct her from God, and that he's really a God of mercy and grace, and not a God simply of, of judgment and condemnation. And She's had a hard time relating to God on the basis of his mercy. But this is why Jesus did what he's doing this particular week. The good moral people did not relate to him and he rejected them. But the flawed and the failed and the miserable and the broken and the destitute that came to him found him with open arms, touching and blessing and hugging and receiving them. And he will receive you in the same way. So Jesus is loving. Um, the leaders are plotting. Verse 3, Then assembled together the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people, unto the palace of the high priest. These guys got together, and they are in a quandary. They are trying to figure out how to get rid of Jesus. So they came to the high priest Caiaphas, consulted that they might take Jesus subtly. They've got to do this privately. They've got to do it at night. They've got to find a way to get him where there's not a lot of people around. And they want to kill him. <clears throat> but they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So it's delicate. It's politically complex. So Jesus is loving. His enemies are plotting. I want you to juxtaposition that in your mind for a moment, because this is our lives to some degree. We're pressing forward in faithful discipleship, following Jesus, carrying out his mission, distributing his grace and love to anybody that will receive it. But what's happening to us at the same time? Opposition, spiritual battle. We are, in a very real sense, at war. It's real, okay? It's pressing us. I wrote a blog post yesterday called uh, Resurrection Week and Spiritual Battle. 
uh, maybe go read it because this week, if you're engaged in any kind of ministry, blessing, serving, engaging in outreach, then you can expect some spiritual battle to it all. And there's lots of ways that unfolds in our lives. But but uh, Jesus didn't let the fact that they're plotting against him deter him from loving. In fact, he knows God is using their plotting to consummate his purposes. So the best your enemy can do is to be the unwitting tool in the hands of God to accomplish God's will through your life. Think about that. Maybe when this video is over, you need to go back and hear that statement again. Thirdly, Judas is betraying. Then, verse 14, then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will you give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. From that time he sought opportunity to betray him. Judas was so close all these years to grace, to gospel love, but he never got it. He never believed. He never received. He never truly placed faith in Jesus. Friend, it's possible to be immersed in gospel grace environments year after year after year and even engaged, doing, active, and to be dead to God. And it doesn't end well for Judas. He's going to get his silver, but he's not going to have it for very long and he's not going to be alive much longer. He's going to throw his life away. It's a sad situation. So how are you spending Easter week? Are you uh, loving? (laughs) If so, like Jesus, you're in good company, but expect the enemy to be plotting. And maybe you need to examine your faith. Maybe you need to make sure you truly have been born in new life by Jesus and not playing the role of Judas. Hey, happy Wednesday. We'll pick it up tomorrow. Tomorrow's an active day. So don't miss Thursday. We'll see you then. Have a great day.